0: Welcome to If These Bricks Could Talk, Tales of Hendrix Past, where we feature familiar voices sharing memories from their time at Hendricks College, big and small pieces of life that helped make Hendricks, Hendrix. Season three features retired faculty paired with alumni interviewers. For this episode, we welcome Dr. Ralph McKenna, who taught in the psychology department at Hendricks from 1976 to 2011. Ralph taught Social Psychology, Developmental Psychology, and the Psychology Senior Seminar, along with other more unique courses such as Psychology, Music, and American Culture. He still makes an occasional appearance on campus with other members of the musical group Hendricks Folk Faculty. Ralph is joined today by his former student, Dr. Art Gillespie, Hendricks Class of 1988, who now chairs the Department of Psychology and Counseling at the University of Central Arkansas. Ralph and Art, thanks for being here today
1: our pleasure thank you
2: yeah thanks for having us thank you rough it's it's wonderful to get a chance to catch up with you and um, and and do this Um,
1: Uh, it's so so nice to to find out that I was going to be doing this interview with you and also that you're a neighbor of mine which I've just discovered in our pre interview conversation Mm -hmm. which is really nice
2: definitely Love the, uh, the, the local kind of Hindrix connections that just keep continuing over time. Absolutely. Right? Definitely.
1: Absolutely.
2: Um, well, hey, maybe a, a good place to start might be just to get you to reminisce a little bit about kind of what brought you to Hendrix, and, um, you know, kind of what, what brought you to the job.
1: That's something I would like to talk about. I had taught for seven years at Wilson College in Chambersburg, Pennsylvania, uh, a small liberal arts college for women. Uh, And there were several such colleges at the time in the United States. Uh, Everything went fine academically. Uh, I received tenure there, but the enrollment was steadily declining, steadily declining. Uh, There was a sense of situation not being very tenable for too long. So I started looking around to see where I might like to go. And we had an English professor from Pine Bluff on the Wilson staff named Richard Ezel. So I had looked in the Chronicle of Education and other places for potential jobs, and found a variety of them from Long Island all the way down to Arkansas. But this was unique in having someone there that, that understood the situation. So I went and I said, Richard, do you, do you know anything about Hendricks College? Uh, there's an opening there, and it sounds very much in my area. Uh, so I thought I would ask you. And, and Ezell said, Hendricks College, yeah. ah, that's wonderful. It's it's the finest college in that whole region. The faculty and the students are absolutely great. Uh, you would be at fault if you did not go the, down there and, and interview for the position. So I did. Uh, I flew down. I think I'd had an interview at that Long Island College previously and arrived on campus and went to the psychology building and talked to someone, and and she said, well, he's in a meeting right now, the chair. Uh, Why don't you walk around campus and see what it's like? And so it was a rather pro forma interview, and I wasn't terribly impressed. I came down to Hendrix, flew in. I was immediately met by Chris Spatz at the airport. Uh, He said, come on, we'll We'll introduce you to Peg Fitch. And Peg was toward retirement and probably didn't want to make the trip to the airport. And it was much more appropriate for Chris to be. We hit it off great. That night there there was a dinner at Spatz's former house on Robinson Avenue with a big mansion kind of looking place. All kinds of faculty there. Uh, I was treated royally during my visit. Uh, everything from that through meeting with Roy Schilling, who was president at the time. And so that that's how I came to take the position. I can tell you a similar story related to moving here, if you'd like that. <laughs>
2: Definitely.
1: Okay. Definitely. Uh, I had taught at Wilson for seven years. Uh, we decided we would move down here. Uh, I rented a U-Haul. uh We had one, two, three kids at the time that were going to make the trip down. Uh, Let it be known that I was trying to to move my stuff to to Arkansas and would welcome any help. Two people showed up. We had a farmhouse in Mennonite country. Uh, That's all I could get to help me load the the U-Haul with all our belongings. Well, we did that. We set off in the U-Haul, and I forgot now how many days it took us to get here. Linda was following me behind me in our family car with uh, three little kids, and uh, the fourth one had just been born. I'm not sure whether she was nursing him along the way. I don't think while she was driving, but um, <laughs> we arrived here late in the evening at our new house uh, on Berry Place Drive. Uh sp- I had already talked with the moving crew at Hendricks, and they said, uh, get a good night's sleep, and we'll be here in the morning. So I did. John Arms was the first one to greet me, John Arms and Haggard. Our instructions were to stand at the front door and direct people as to where to put stuff, and that's all we had to do. And I can't begin to tell you how many people showed up. Spatch was there, of course. Haggard and Arms, or Rodney Todd, the business manager at the time, showed up. I had only met him one time when we discussed salary. And of course, John Guthrie was there, and any number of other people. They they unloaded the. Well, who was it? Somebody had to take the U-Haul, drive it. Down an incline on Barry Place Drive and really hit the brakes hard, which shifted everything forward that was inside the U Haul <laughs> and made it much easier for them to get stuff out. Oh my gosh. After this was concluded, uh, Guthrie asked me, uh, Where are you going to drop off the U Haul? And this was at the time, you know, we've got four kids at the time, you're looking to save money anywhere you can. So I had rented it and needed to return it to Memphis. Oh. <laughs> uh, he said, well, what are you going to do? I said, well, Linda's going to follow me over there. And and he said, well, let me go with you instead. Uh, and so Guthrie went all the way with me to Memphis to drop it off. I guess he must have driven another car or something like that. I don't think we towed it uh, but we got halfway home and the truck died. No, it must have been on the way. On there, the way. The truck oh, there. dear. Died. And, of course, Guthrie could have fixed anything. He, he, all <laughs> his days in, in, in you know Africa and other places. And sure enough, he managed somehow to get the, the truck going again. And that's one of the stories about coming here.
2: Oh, Wow. Wow. I mean just surrounded with family almost from the from the beginning
1: absolutely that's just the yeah. feel and it it's still the feel yeah uh it, it's just really special yeah. we have a guy's lunch every week now that bruce haggard is organized and there's uh, anywhere from five or six to ten or twelve of us that show up joe lombardi and garrett mm-hmm. will frequently come up from Little Rock Mm -hmm. and a number of people that are in our age cohort. Yeah. uh, As old as I guess Spats must be the oldest by a month and a half. And I'm close close behind. Yeah. We shouldn't let him forget about that. (laughs) (laughs) And Wayne Odekirk is the kid in the group. Uh huh. So so that's neat. So it is kind of the same Mm -hmm. family feeling to it.
2: Definitely. Definitely. Um, well, I'm curious about what the psychology department was like uh, back in those days.
1: Okay, back in those days, uh, it was Peg Fitch was still teaching. Uh, she was very close to retirement. Uh, and Chris and me, as best I can recall, okay. I think there were just three of us. Just three. I haven't checked that, but but I think that's right. Bill Siegel came on sometime after that. Cheryl Arnold came years after that. And we eventually grew, but back then, then, that was about it. Right.
2: Now, was that in in Mills? Was the department in Mills then?
1: Uh, Yes, it was. I think that they had been in— That was a brand-new building then. It it was brand-new. I think they might have been in in Bueller, but I'm not sure, prior to my arrival— Uh, so you
0: officed in mills you're in no you didn't office in mills your entire time because
1: no we went over to uh reynolds Mm -hmm. and toward the end of my tenure here but when i think of being a professor i always think first of of being in mills Mm -hmm. and so when where was the seminar room i know where the seminar where's the seminar in rounds well let me think about that try to figure that out uh so my Memories are very much Mills' memories.
2: I have vivid memories of the seminar room, uh, senior seminar, sitting around the, the the table. Right. Right? Maybe 10 students, 10, 12 maybe. Yeah,
1: I, I'd say that's, that's probably right.
2: Um, and, and, again, I can see this in my mind right now. You're at the head of the table, and, again, we're discussing something about, you know, social psych or some experiments mm-hmm. or some issue in psychology. Right. And uh, some students talking, and you lean back in your chair, you take off your glasses, <laughs> you twirl them around in your hand like that, and you put them in your mouth oh, like that. Um, I still do that. You still do it, Or, or, or you, would, you would lean back, put your hands behind your head, kind of lean back in your chair and go, well, yeah, you know, maybe, but. <laughs>
3: <laughs> That's funny.
1: I'd, for, I'd forgotten that. But we had a lot of student-centered work. And Mm -hmm. it it was my idea to kind of coordinate things and get out of the way as much as I can so that students could present what they were working on and the other students could talk to them about it, ask questions, and kind of probe for answers much in the way that a faculty member might do. And I think that at least my Wish that they would develop these skills while they were still here and and rather than simply be lectured to take notes in a notebook and and come to the tests, which is the more traditional way of teaching.
2: I think that was probably one of my first classes where I had this responsibility, right, to present. okay, And to lead a class and to engage other people in discussion. OK. and and you know either defend a position or advocate for a position sure um and it was so frightening
3: but was then it was it really? but
2: but but once we got started once you jumped in and helped kind of kind of direct that conversation right it was such a great experience as a student oh good. so empowering
1: oh i'm so glad to hear that and gee the last thing i ever wanted to do was be intimidating in any way and i I tried so
2: hard not to do that. Definitely. No, I don't think you yeah. were intimidating it's so just much. The it was situation. just a situation. Yeah,
1: yeah. I can imagine a situation where somebody said, all right, this better be good. Mm-hmm. And, <laughs> and, and, and creating a very different atmosphere. As a, yes, yeah. Which would intimidate not only the presenter, but the students who might want to raise questions. And,
2: right, yeah. right. Um, well, and I think we all felt some sense of kinship for one another in that class yeah. too that yep. you know i'm not going to be a jerk to you <laughs> because <laughs> i'm going to have to do this too so right um, but yeah some of the some of the best discussions i thought
1: oh that's wonderful that and you know speaking of kinship i always felt this vis-a-vis students and myself too several of them would have worked as department assistants in psychology you know where you have them doing a whole lot more than just run-of-the-mill stuff you say well I'm, I'm working on this project have you do you know anybody that knows anything about this or and, and students might say well i'm going to the library let me see what i can find and it was it was really a nice collaboration
2: definitely definitely just hanging around that that building right yeah. that those those two floors there yep yeah no doubt um so i remember definitely so uh senior seminar as, okay. as a as a keynote um, I think I also had developmental psych with you and right. social psych with you. Okay. Um, those were
1: much bigger classes. Definitely. And they followed a more traditional format uh, because people taking those classes presumably didn't have a whole lot of background. And and so I was uh, the expert, quote, uh At least in social psychology. Uh, But even in those classes, I tried to work in some group presentations Mm -hmm. where students would be part of a group of three or four research topic and then get to present to the class. Right. And that was kind of a preliminary group experience to what they had to do individually in either the senior seminar or the advanced social
2: class. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Advanced social was another one. Right. Yeah. Yeah, uh, to get the double dose of social with you right, was a big thing, to have so, social and then uh, advanced social.
1: And the advanced social one was where they were c- required to do a, a unique experiment, design mm-hmm. the experiment, conduct it, defend it in class in terms of what they found, and then perhaps eventually presented at the Arkansas Symposium for Psychology Students.
2: Definitely, yes, yes. Well, and so that's one of the... I think the, the things that's, that's most unique about you is your, I guess your advocacy and your support for student research and that that requirement that students needed to, um, uh, to, to do their own project and collect right. their own data and um, uh, again I, that's probably an experience that most students don't get to have uh, until they go to grad school. Right.
1: I I suspect that you're right in that in that regard. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure. Right. But we had so many wonderful experiments that were designed by students. Uh, I even got to put together a book based on that mm-hmm. uh, called The Undergraduate Researcher's Handbook. But it was filled with, with uh, so mostly social psych research, almost exclusively social psych research done by students. And I, I just write a little bit linking the student or the student and the research mm-hmm. to uh, another piece of research on that particular topic in that chapter. Right. And uh yeah,
2: no that that was wonderful. All right, so what about um
0: I'm seeing some mementos on the floor. Ah, oh. Ah. <laughs> and I didn't want those to to go unmentioned here. Okay.
2: And yeah. Drag these
0: up. Okay. <laughs> Love well, it when our guests bring props. Well, and
2: and, and so um Thinking about the Arkansas Symposium for Psychology Students, that was something that I'll you really started or well, a part of that. Yes, I was. That. Okay. Can uh, you tell us about ASPS? Sure. And uh, show us the, yeah, show the, us the, the t-shirt. t-shirt. Well, this
1: is ASPS T-shirt. I'm not even sure what year it is. Southern Arkansas University of Magnolia okay. was hosting it that particular year of, so it has a mule rider. Ah, uh, the, the mule rider oh, 1994.
2: Okay, so
1: that would be after.
2: After graduated. I graduated, right?
1: Mm-hmm. But mm-hmm. we, st- the beginning of it, uh, was in New Orleans. We were having a site conference there. Uh, I bumped into a guy from Ouachita, uh Randy Smith. And we talked, and he had the same sort of story I did about this terrific research that was being done on his campus uh, that largely was just localized. It never went anywhere else. And wasn't that a shame. And Isn't there something we could do about it? So we decided to to set up this symposium, and, and Randy would bring his kids up from Ouachita and we would have it at, at Hendrix, And the next year, he would host it down in Arkadelphia, and we would take down any research we had. That that made a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. And then he, he or I said, I don't know which, which of us said it, that why don't we just open this up to anybody within the state that would like to do it or would like to host it? Uh, that That'll bring us a lot more research. It'll bring us a lot more connections. And... It, It just was wonderful in that regard. I got to know people I really didn't know much. I knew Dave Schrader, a a professor at UConn, at at Fayetteville. Mm -hmm. And so he he was one of the first to join. Uh, David Johnson uh, up in Salem Springs at John Brown came down uh this mule it was a fellow named Ed Curtis uh-huh that, oh, yeah. that taught, did you know Ed? I knew Ed, yeah okay he taught at uh, Southern Arkansas and we had people from all over the state participating and maybe even a couple of visitors from outside but it was largely a state organization it went on for years and years and Stopped rotating and UCA took it over, and i tell us something about well, that. Well, just
2: just the the great connection here. Um, I guess it was in maybe 2010. Okay. Um, again, ASPS had been going on; it had been kind of rotating around, but um, it was people were losing interest in it. You know, it was a quite a bit to host a conference like that. Um, and so there was a couple of years where it didn't happen. And in 2010, uh, the department at UCA decided that we were going to revitalize, um, ASPS and kind of host it at UCA, just kind of, we would, we would take care of it. Um, we would, we would take it over. Uh, and so we've been hosting it at UCA, Mm -hmm. uh, in the spring since then. Um, and it's largely run by students, which is again, still near and dear to my heart, right? That, um, so our uh, Psychi and our psych society students run it, um, and we bring in uh, undergraduates from all over the state and some outside the state too. Oh, good! Some folks come from Louisiana, um, it's from uh, Tennessee. You know, usually because they have some connection, you know, here. Um, but it's it's wonderful, um, and it, it's such a such a neat connection for, for me in particular to know Mm -hmm. that, I mean, that was my first conference that I presented at when I was a junior. Okay. Um, so spring of 1983, what did you present? So I did, so it was from your advanced social class. Right. So I did, um, I did a survey about, uh, sexual assault on campus. Um, and kind of the, the predictors of that, um, I mean, at that point, I mean, the early days, this was kind of what, the early 90s or early, late 80s. Sorry. Sorry. Actually, I got my date wrong. It was um, spring of 87 was my first ASPS, not 83. So I was wrong there. Um, But, you know, there was uh, sexual assault on campus was beginning to be a a huge issue, uh, be recognized more so. Um, So um, there were several of us that were interested in kind of. Dating and relationship issues, mm-hmm. and that's kind of where that came about.
1: And not only did you do good research, uh, it has real social significance in terms of the topic, which, again, is, is something that I tried to push a little bit. And mm-hmm. Students like you
2: picked up on definitely, that. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, it, there was never, it was always to try to do something meaningful. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, It was not just, you know, what are the, uh, what's the effects of, listening to music on studying or things like that it was um, much more everyone did pretty meaningful stuff i yeah, thought yeah yeah um, what do you, are there any of those projects that that kind of stand out for you or that you remember as as either noteworthy for being really good quality or or just interesting ideas uh,
1: i i went through them all and put them into that book mm-hmm. and that in general, I found that students cared deeply about their research, mm-hmm. and, and almost all the and in terms of what stood out among the group, it's hard for me to come up with, yeah. with ones that might have fit that. There was also a practice I had. It was either in the advanced social course or in social. Not or in, not so, either in advanced or the seminar course, which is both courses with small numbers of students. And one of the options was you turn in your paper at the end, toward the end of the term. I'll make all the corrections I think make sense to me and raise questions about things that you presented in your paper and could have done differently. I'll give you grade on the paper. But you have the option of rewriting the paper and, and resubmitting it to me for a new grade if you want to take that option. Okay. And the very best students uh, who weren't, say, maybe they got a B-plus on the paper and were unsatisfied with mm-hmm. getting a B-plus, they would rework the whole paper and turn it in, which is, again, again – a professional sort of activity that, that frequently happens later in your educational mm-hmm. career. Mm-hmm. There were a few students that uh, got the B and were happy with it and decided, no, I don't want to go through this whole process. Right. Again. Uh, but anyway, that, that was something that I don't remember other professors doing, but, but made sense to me.
2: Right, right. Okay, now I'm racking my brain if I took that option or not. I don't (laughs) I don't remember (laughs) I hope I did (laughs) (laughs) well I still have a collection
1: of papers from from way back in the day sitting in my study oh my gosh oh Oh, my gosh and uh, I have I mean not just from there but from Mm -hmm. socials I can develop I've tried to weed down but I keep saying well uh, one was the Maxwell personality test that okay uh, this was for a course in tests and measurements or one of the options was to develop your own personality and after tim had died i was i mm. just i wasn't looking for his paper i just was sorting through papers trying to decide what needed to be kept and, and i stumbled on that test and oh. and, and i'm happy to say tim maxwell got an a on his, his uh, no surprise I, there. I, no I, surprise ended up in my savings definitely definitely oh wow
2: wow um so all those social psych experiments too, that was pre-institutional review board, right? There was no check on, I mean, you made the decision if that, if that project was okay to run oh, or absolutely. not, yeah. um, but there was no uh, oversight of that. Um, no. any, uh, any that you recall that you, you kind of went, oh, I'm glad that turned out okay?
1: Nothing that comes to mind okay. immediately, okay uh, and we had done all the preparatory stuff before in class discussions, and right uh, there was a proposal that came forth at one point. Here's what I would like to do. Mm-hmm. If it had been moderately controversial, I would have said, go for it if, right if, if but if there had been some element that that seemed inappropriate, I, I would have flagged it
2: right. Well, I
1: probably would have suggested, "How about you do it this way?"
2: Right. Yeah. Not. Not. Don't do this at all. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, again, I I think doing a a research study on sexual assault in the in the 80s. I mean, I think that's that would get hung up in an IRB um, at a at a a, a larger institution and get a lot of scrutiny.
1: Yeah, Um, probably so.
2: And. I'm not sure that he, they would even allow a student to do something and like that. And they
1: might look at questions like, how does this impact the way prospective mm-hmm. enrollees will see our institution?
2: Right. Uh, right. There's all kinds of, yeah. again, there was some freedom, it seems like. Yeah. When you, were, so. when you they, were doing that.
1: Uh, the whole notion of institutional review boards, I don't think even existed back when we were doing this, not just at Hendrix, but... I could be wrong. Right. Maybe at large universities with graduate students, they had such mm-hmm. a thing, but.
2: Right. Right. Um, so it sounds like that you're you, you really enjoyed teaching those upper division uh, advanced social and senior seminar, um, that that was really where your where your love was in yeah, a lot of ways. Absolutely.
1: Yeah. But I enjoyed the other classes, too. I mean, it just uh, it, it was the Hendrick students that, that meant so much to me. He, he, you'd come in and they'd, they'd, they'd be happy to go to class. Uh, they'd ask good questions, uh, unlike some, some other institutions where all they were concerned on is what's gonna be on the test. Right. Uh,
2: yeah, yeah. Um, so I, I think I missed this. Uh, I think I would graduated already, but, but it seemed like you kind of made a shift um kind of broaden your horizons in some of your teaching yeah um and and I, I don't know that i've ever heard kind of how that happened or or how you how you how you started doing all the music and the psychology okay. and music and all that okay. kind of stuff. So i'd love to hear about that
1: uh you need to know a little bit about my own educational background okay uh, when i was a high school student i wasn't sure what i wanted to do And I listened to the advice of counselors and others, and I said, well, you've got really good math grades, science stuff, you've done really well there. What you need to be is an engineer. And so I packed off and headed for Bethlehem, Pennsylvania, Lehigh University. And I had one year of engineering there and I just hated the whole experience. And then to top it all off, we had compulsory ROTC, where I was supposed to go on Saturday mm. mornings and clean my rifle. Mm. And it just was not me. And I I can't tell you how many demerits I got over that <laughs> year for not cleaning my and And we had to march in for me. It was mm. god-awful. I mean, just everything that I'm not mm-hmm. in. <laughs> anyway, I decided no, I'm going to change. I'm going to go do something else. So uh, I enrolled in a in a Danbury State College, very much like UCA, except it was called Danbury State College back then, and, and UCA was called
2: maybe Arkansas State Teachers College. Yeah, at some, that
1: point. Yeah, and and now it's Western Connecticut. Um, uh, state university but it's essentially it has not grown as, as much as uca has uca has grown enormously since the time when i first came here but anyway i i had a degree in music education and we had brass workshop and and all these other things but how in the world and oh well, i guess the point i'm trying to make is i never had a liberal arts education and when i came to hendrix uh there were so many opportunities, and and one of the best one was a course that was put together in the middle '70s, I would guess, uh, called Masterworks, hmm. and it was the brainchild largely of Don Marr in in the art department, and we would, and it was the only faculty. And we would each select a work to teach in the course, think this is right. Or maybe we did, uh, I'm not sure on this. But I got a chance to interact with faculty from the English department, philosophy department, art department, all the liberal arts stuff I'd never had before. Mm -hmm. And it was just a joy to be part of that class. And eventually, uh, Don and I did the course together. He asked me if I would be an associate director of the course. And then once he retired, we had a course called Transitions, which was largely based on the Masterworks framework. And uh, Norman helped helped me teach that class. These names, I don't know how much they'll mean to people Watching this, if if you're of a certain age, you, they will immediately resonate. But yeah. if you're a current student, they they may not. Uh, but they're all former professors, or perhaps I know Carol West is here, still here. Uh, but this was Chuck chapel and on and on a whole okay. bunch of people that older folks would
3: know.
2: So, but that I mean, you you really I don't know that, that kind of. That became. It seems like that became so much more of a, of a of an a, an open area for you. Yeah. Um, um, which I think is is just amazing uh, in a career at, at a, a school like Hendrix to be able to to spread your wings like that. And, yeah.
1: Well, it says a lot about the college.
2: Yeah. Yeah. That they, okay.
1: they would encourage and fund fund this. There was a little stipend for doing the summers. Okay. And okay. Trying to raise raise five kids, it it, it certainly helps.
2: Definitely um so uh i mean that, that those sound like all very positive things what about some of the challenges that you you maybe faced teaching at, at hendrix uh hmm uh
1: once again there aren't any things that come to mind the college was always so supportive of anything i wanted to do uh there were th- I would farm out the grading of exams to department assistants. I'd say, okay, here's the key to the exams. Uh, here, here are the student papers. If you can get them graded for me, they're, they're you know, if these were multiple choice kinds of exams <clears> and so on. Uh, let me know if you see anything wrong. And they would have them done the next morning. And I don't know whether that would ever fly today whether students grading other st- students' exams, even though the students were the very best seniors' majors available, uh, grading exams by freshmen largely, uh, that still might be something that administrators would say, no, that, that's inappropriate. But at the time, it, it didn't seem so. When It was, once again, a great way to form a bond uh professor and students Uh, but that's not a negative
2: uh or maybe maybe negative is too strong okay you know uh, well
1: if if facing any adversity i i don't think i ever faced any hmm. i just cannot think think of anything like that department relationships were wonderful uh, administrative relationships were wonderful. I, I got on really. Joe Hatcher and I used to play tennis, in you know, doubles <laughs> tennis as a team at the Maybe Center. Oh wow! Uh, Schilling oh. was just wonderful too, and I was president, and you know, we always got along just fine.
3: Mm-hmm. Uh,
2: well, that that again, and now we have Ellis. And I, yes,
1: and that is, makes me so proud. We were talking before the recording started. <laughs> about how ellis was uh, one of my first students c- coming here i guess he okay. now did you say he graduated in 78 i think 79 79, 79. okay right. and i had come in 76. Six. so i think if i'm not mistaken that ellis took either social or devo uh-huh. as it was called back in uh-huh day.
2: uh-huh oh my gosh any recollection of him in class any yeah. uh
1: nothing specific again those were classes of 50 students sure, sure. and it, I, I did well to learn names uh, and to this day it, it's facial recognition is something I've just basically lost I never had it very and, and my wife is totally different she, she can tell me every well don't you remember we had dinner <laughs> with these people and he was wearing a blue shirt and this was when it was like oh 1979 yeah yeah and, yeah you know, and I, but anyway uh, I, I do remember well I, I just don't want to say I'm not even 100% positive he was but I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure he took either one of those two classes okay mm-hmm. uh, he was not a psych major
0: well and I you know there are a number of folks who passed through your classes who have yeah. psych majors I was one I took social psych um, man it was hard can I just, <laughs> as an English major, I will say crossing over into psychology was one of my favorite things to do, but I was, the grades were were a point of trepidation for me. Oh. Um, my brother, though, who graduated from Hendrix um, 14 years before me, I believe, um, kept his developmental psychology book for a number of years, um, and and with me being fifteen years younger than him. I, I distinctly remember at least one occasion where he opened it and insisted to my parents, yes, this thing we're observing in my five year old little <laughs> sister is is normal for her age. Um and so I you know, that that was quite the entertaining piece of that's good textbook for him, you know, to have. And then, of course, he, you know, for his his own kids when he became a father. Well, um, um, really, I, awesome. I saw that developmental psych book around the house quite a bit. <laughs> I'm, were,
1: I'm really happy to hear that. Uh, textbook selection is something that isn't discussed very often. But when I when I was about to select a textbook, I, I we would get these complimentary copies of textbooks from the major publishers. Uh, and some were just filled with research, and I would ask myself, well, is a freshman or a sophomore taking one of these two classes, they, again, this is either social or Devo, you're taking one of those two classes, is that book gonna resonate? Uh, and often the answer was no. And I would look one for one that was kind of a nice balance between being clearly experimentally based but written in a style that was engaging to the typical student um, And so these things t- took some some doing too the social side texts like that developed particularly those two classes.
3: Yeah
0: I still remember yeah you know, this one was called the developing person okay and it, <laughs> yes and it, it had a, a spot in in the bookshelf at the bottom of his nightstand in the 90s when he was you know the parent of young children
1: and developing person through the lifespan i think oh was it the whole okay uh, and that was another <laughs> thing i tri- tried to really stress in uh, my developmental course because usually that course or frequently that course is called child psychology and it would end the lifespan about 18 years old And really, there was so much going on in in the years following that, which really did not get the attention that Uh that all the child research got.
0: Well, and I remember in our social psych class, you had us um, go over to the Bailey seminar room and watch a series on middle age. Okay. That, you know, talked about the kinds of things different. I think it was four different people were looking at. Okay. At, at about the same age. And I remember one of them was getting really involved in music.
1: Okay. <laughs> and,
0: and, you know, playing with a band and things yeah. like that. And
1: okay. here, well, I, I, here to... I am
0: in a band at this age. So, <laughs> gee, imagine that.
1: Uh, I, well, I used to use a film in the developmental class called Living the Good Life. And it was the story of Helen and Scott Nearing, uh, both really gifted professionals who were living on a farm in maine and it it, it showed their daily life experiences and, and there's a one of scott out there plowing his field behind some animal and he was 96 years old at the time and she was in her 70s which people at in the class and myself included in those days, thought, oh my goodness, somebody seventy years old doing all this, somebody ninety years old doing all that. And the older you get, the the more you realize, well, that was a good choice to show. And and those people weren't as old as I thought they were.
0: Exactly. They get younger all the time.
3: <laughs> exactly.
2: Exactly. No, I think that's a good point that that oftentimes we think of those developmental psych classes being mostly about child development mm-hmm. but not considering later development right yeah later right. stages of life so
1: now s- since that time that's become more accepted mm-hmm. uh, and you, you'll see television shows and web presentations that, that will deal with that but back in that day it was not that common
2: mm-hmm yeah um I'm wondering, from from your perspective, I don't know, maybe changes that you've seen over time at Hendricks, or or kind of how it's how it's how it's developed.
1: One thing we did not have was football, and okay. what we had instead, we did have a good basketball team. Cliff Garrison was the coach. Mm-hmm. Jim Holland was the assistant coach. We had had a good basketball team, but it didn't have the serious approach that's being given to football these days. I've seen one game where I sat up in the box uh, up high and watched people. It just doesn't seem like Hendrix to me. Mm. What we had that I cared about was intramural sports,
3: mm-hmm.
1: and they had an A League. For the really good athletes among the students and they had a b league for for those who, who weren't of a level league caliber <laughs> where um a number of students who like to play sports like basketball or softball or something like that would would come and get a team together and they'd play and we had faculty teams as well because we could play at at a level that approximated B-League. Mm-hmm. And we had the added advantage of playing with the same uh, other faculty members for a number of years. And so we played basketball and we played volleyball and uh, we, we had some success at though <laughs> yeah, I, I remember
0: when I was, a, I was pulled in as a student on definitely a B-League softball team, uh, and we were playing against a team called Staff Infection
3: okay
0: <laughs> so it was an all-staff team see that's lovely I don't that's that great team, that's that's a great name. i think julie might have your, your lovely bride might have been on that team i'm not sure
2: i think yeah the year that when that she I was, was a, a head hall, resident a hall director yeah yeah i think we i remember playing bass or softball that yeah.
0: year actually we might have been on the same field we, we might have been a time or two yeah, yeah so yeah,
2: that's if you want another prop i i have a I what do you have, have
0: what, you what else do you have let in you, your bag me, down here
1: let me see what i got here yeah. I'm going to take no, some pictures is, so we can maybe add them to the club thing. Uh, what is this? Hendricks hey, Intramurals. Oh, oh, hold this up for me. Okay. Champions. Oh,
0: champions! Not just okay. Yeah. Let me see your face. We got to oh, get this out. Oh, okay. There you go. Okay. Intramural champions. Now the
1: best part is the back part. okay. <laughs>
0: Uh, the Wally ballers. The Wally Brawlers.
2: Brawlers, Brawlers. Brawlers,
0: okay. Oh, my goodness. Oh, my gosh. So, 95, yeah.
2: 96, 2000, 2001, and 2002 champions. Right, right.
1: <laughs> but uh, again, Wally Ball is one of those sports Wally that ballers. a lot of people don't play growing up, mm-hmm. that you discover it at college. Mm-hmm. And so we had Mark Sutherland and Ian King and Lyle Rupert. And myself, I guess we they typically have four players, and they, I, I may be leaving someone out that played at other times, but uh, those were the basic four people. And, and we knew each other real well and how to hit the ball off the wall and somebody be up there to drop it down. And uh, uh, Jen Dierolf, still, she, she was not part of this group, but, but she and... Uh, her partner, Danny Gallo, who was an airplane pilot but, but was friends with many of us, still play that today hmm. at the McGee Center, I, I believe, in Conway. Hmm. Uh, and I keep getting invitations. I'm really tempted to go <laughs> yeah. see if I can still do it or not.
2: So you, was this the uh, championship of the B League? So, oh, yeah. So, uh... Well,
1: let's see. I'm not sure they— they had both A and B leagues for volleyball. Okay, hmm. I think it was for basketball and so, probably softball. And mm-hmm. uh, but volleyball was still a little bit new and different. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, uh, they may have only had one league. Yeah. I, th- I think there was just one league.
2: Yeah,
1: the Wally Brawlers. I the
2: Wally that. Brawlers. <laughs> Well, and, and just how I love how, how proud they are that they put all their championships on their shirt, yeah. Not just not just one. I so, <laughs> bragging
0: rights are bragging rights.
2: That's true. That's true. You know, I, I always thought it was was so uh, so so nice at Hendrix that that faculty were real people. Yeah, um, you know that they played sports with students, yeah. right? And yeah.
1: um, and I wonder if that still cafeteria happens today. and
2: yeah, uh, I, I, I yeah I wonder too. Yeah, I wonder too. Um, but that was so, it was always so special that, again, you might see somebody on a softball field and chat about something from class or, right. you know, or, or find out other interests that they had. Right. right. Um, I, th- I think it, I think it spoiled me as a student yeah, um, to have those kinds of relationships and then go to grad school where there's, there was much more distance in some ways. Right. So, or at bigger schools.
1: Yeah. No, there were. Just a lot of fun, mm-hmm. and that was it, when you would play basketball against your your students. Uh, there was laughing and joking, going back and forth, and it, it wasn't serious. I mean, you'd still try hard, but it, it wasn't serious in terms of support for our side, right? The evil other side that we have to play today. It just was that, mm-hmm. and I hope we're we're not losing that.
2: Yeah, yeah yeah no doubt so did you do many uh uh basketball games were you one of the crowd yeah, that, that yeah, attended we lots of those and
1: uh, we, and uh again it, it was in the old grove gymnasium yeah you know, with the, the seats going up that they could move i think uh and a lot of, a lot of uh faculty would come out and support the team yeah but I guess Cliff and Jim took it very seriously, but oh. yeah, it was like a social event more than, than anything else for mm-hmm. us.
2: Mm-hmm. Uh, Grove was a, that could get a, could be a in place. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, at, at, at basketball games for sure.
1: Uh, and again, that's, I guess that's where we played our intramural stuff was on that same gym. Mm-hmm. Maybe I don't remember what this, probably it was full court.
2: Yeah. And then, then at the maybe center, Right. And yeah. then after that, yeah, when showed. that was up. So, right.
1: That uh, was a new building at one point. <laughs>
2: <laughs> like East hall was a, as it was a temporary building, temporary residence hall for a while. And then it became permanent for, for a while, for a while. Yes. Okay. And
0: yeah. now it's facilities. Now it's again. yeah, but yeah. Else.
2: yeah. You know, with, with, all, you know, that, that crew of, uh, uh faculty that you hung out with Haggard and mm-hmm. arms and those kind of folks, um, any any stories that that should be preserved. I mean, since we have, you know, digital preservation here, mm-hmm. stories, anecdotes, things that we need to get on the record.
1: Um, Let's see. Well, well, I've already mentioned the, the moving experience mm. and it was a moving experience <laughs> to have that happen. Well done. Uh, and the fact that we still get together at Haggard's house for the most part and sit in chairs in a big circle and looks down over a, a lake. Uh, but it's real close to campus. Uh, it's just a, as you leave the highway and you're heading toward Beaver Fork, it's the very first road you come to. Oh. Mm-hmm. just turn right there and you, half a mile and you're at Haggard's house. Uh, so those would be the two stories that I would select out. Uh, and, of course, we had the faculty basketball team, but um, I think I pretty much covered that. Yeah.
2: Stuff. Okay.
3: I
1: could tell you what I'm doing now as far as teaching goes.
3: Oh,
2: yeah. You would never
1: stopped. <laughs> <laughs> well, that that's actually true. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. I stopped for one year. <laughs> okay. And, and there was a program, there is a program in, in Little Rock. Called Life Quest of Arkansas, and what it is is it's a program of education for seniors. Uh, I'm not sure what the average age is for participants, but they're it's probably in the upper 60s, I would guess. Uh, And I got very much involved with that my first year just just as a student there. So many neat courses I'd never taken before. And I became a regular there during that first year. And I got a call later in that year from Sandy Hansen, who was uh, one of the acting directors, and said, how would you like to teach a course here? And so... Uh, I got drafted into teaching a course there, and it, it's just been terrific. Uh, it's it's an, again a music course. Okay. Uh, here, here's an interesting story. I was talking at one point in class about Arlo Guthrie, uh, and I said, "Here's a song you may know that." sung by and written by Arla Guthrie called The City of New Orleans. Riding on the City of New Orleans. And uh, this hand went up in the back of the room. And this woman, I guess, in her upper 60s, lower 70s, raised her hand. And she said, he never wrote that song. I said, what do you mean? She said, Steve Goodman wrote that song. I'm thinking, Steve Goodman, I, I I, know who he is. He's a pal of John Primes, and they would play together in Chicago. And I thought, you know, maybe she's right. And I went home, and I checked, and of course, this was Steve Goodman's most famous song. But to think that this would happen in a class like that. <laughs> and it was reminiscent of stuff that happened at Hendrix, mm-hmm, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's been a really fun class to teach, and I'm still teaching it.
2: Neat, neat. Yeah. Um, then, so you had a year, essentially a year off after you yeah. left Hendrix, and then just one more gigatical. And I've been teaching pretty much. Ever wow, since wow. I know that you you run. Uh, I know you you, do you you play music as well. I mean, oh, not, yeah. just other kind of hobby kind of things that you do.
1: Yeah, I've I've. Let's see where did it, I guess it was a life quest. I took a course in how to play the irish tin whistle okay and i'd never played one before but uh you mentioned that interest in jazz i'd played saxophone years ago okay. In, okay in big band and in small groups too someone's flying overhead
0: i think we're actually getting um the grounds crew oh. right by the building so we might just you know Take five minutes okay. here. Okay. Well, that, that's <laughs> so I think well, they are right outside the wall. I, I, th- I
2: think maybe they just wanted it to be a part of this too. Well,
0: you know, know I mean, all things Hendrix.
2: That's true. <laughs> that's true.
1: Okay. Well, that's cool. <laughs> uh, well, anyway, I learned to play the tin whistle in this class. At a rudimentary level, but everyone else was learning it for the very first time, and I had already had an experience with uh, that. Cl- Class of instrument. Okay. Uh, but th- this is just basically a pipe with holes in it. Uh, and so I, I have been taken with that. And so I play that on Saturday mornings at our pick and porch sessions now okay. uh, at a Baptist church uh, that loans us the facilities for the day. Uh, Lombardi also plays there. Okay. Uh, and rich roy i will mention rich you probably don't know him. rich he was mm-hmm. a Hendrix graduate in 1966 but he drives up every morning from from little rock so that he can play with our group
0: for saturday morning picking
1: huh. wow it's mm-hmm. we had it at the library faulkner county library down the street for a mm-hmm. number of years and then when COVID hit uh we stopped playing there
2: i had no idea that that you were such a musician that you had such a broad kind of range um how many instruments do you play and kind of what 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 do you what would you rather be doing i guess uh, in terms of playing instruments
1: i wish i could play guitar better than i do okay okay Uh, i started out playing saxophone in the fourth grade and we had band but along the line uh I guess it was when I was an undergraduate. Got to play with a big band. Uh, Big bands were still in vogue at the time. So we could go over to Lake Compound's amusement park, which was not all that far from New York City. It was probably 90 minutes. And so you'd see all the band, Count Basie would play there. The Stan Kenton Band would play there so I had a little I didn't play with them but we had our own big band that played uh, and then there was a group called the Silvertones uh, that was a small group actually we had two groups one was a large band and a small group for any occasion that's what our card said Uh, so like
2: weddings and
1: lots of weddings uh, oh wow lots of Polish affairs uh, there were a lot of uh, people of Polish descent there, so we would play polkas in our barracks and Who Stole the Kiszka? Oh, and, uh, classic. <laughs> and so on. So I had a lot of experience there. Let's see. Yeah. Where we're, oh, yeah. And that was all playing the saxophone. Okay. Uh, now, I've tried to learn the guitar, and I can play it a rudimentary. Uh, level, although some of the people that play at our Saturday morning sessions just astoundingly good. Uh, we mentioned John Murphy, yeah. he drops in from time to time, mm-hmm. and, you know, Murphy plays a lot of places locally and he's just a wonderful guitar player, uh, but he would make it a mistake every now and then playing a song he didn't know. Uh, that we happen to be playing. And that just did wonders for me in terms of my self-esteem to know that even the great John Murphy might make a mistake <laughs> here and there. And let's see. Uh, I have a concertina that I would love to be able to play, and I've just not had the time to learn to play mm. it yet. But one of the things I intend to do today is sign up for... A concertina class being offered online from McNeilah Music in Dublin.
3: Oh wow! Uh, oh
1: my gosh!
2: So I have lots of hopes for that. Yeah. Uh, so that's where I am musically at this okay. point. Okay. Okay. Um, and and again, I know that you've I've I've seen you running Toad Suck five Ks and right. and Little Rock half marathons and still running, still active. I,
1: I am, and I'm now in the <coughs> eighty and older division. In a recent run, I don't it was a local run. It was possibly the Chase Race and Pause Mm -hmm. uh, that Don Potter's created for Son Chase, who died, I don't know, age 12 or something like that. I've I've forgotten the details. But anyway, I'm not even sure it was that run, but there was always an award ceremony at the end, and of course, my times are just pathetically slow, but uh, the older you get, the more the number of competitors in your age <laughs> division diminishes. Uh, so anyway, they, they were do- giving the awards and said, our very first award today goes to Ralph McKenna. <laughs> and I thought, oh my goodness, uh, I must have done okay. And, and as I was approaching to accept my word, Ralph is the oldest participant in today's run. <laughs> so it didn't matter what time I mm-hmm. ran for the race. It mm-hmm. was just that that, that was the oldest person of all these gathered runners, of course, they tend to be younger in age, but, right, right. But even so, it's a kind of an awakening <laughs> <laughs>
2: right. in right. terms of the passage of life and yeah, so on. yeah well, did you were you running when you were at Hendrix as well?
1: yeah okay uh i was
2: uh i've got mm-hmm. a great little photo
1: of running with my youngest child connor uh-huh. and he's about eight i think in the photo uh-huh. and we're running the hendrix track together uh-huh. uh, in some event i guess it ended up on. i, th- I think it was the, it's, it's on a track okay yeah.
2: yeah yeah maybe a tote or a, but um,
1: for the most yeah. part i would run uh Across the street behind the Maybe Center, where all the Hendricks running trails were, mm-hmm. which are, are now part of the the village, right, Hendricks. Yeah. But that was—I would always leave my gym stuff in the office, and if I got a break late in the afternoon, uh, I'd just go over, a change in the Maybe Center, and uh, and off I'd go for a half an hour or so.
3: Yeah. But
2: yeah, were did, were there other professors that ran? Did y'all Was, was there any groups? no i'm not aware of any groups Uh, there were
1: some others randy copper bob esslinger i think bob i know randy did uh there may have been more but it's, it's running is a solitary activity in a lot of ways right you don't need a team and and a lot of times people will choose to run uh you may know this too just to get away from the stresses of the day and just have a little time of your own to just
2: mm-hmm.
1: kick back and relax
2: yeah decompress a little bit yeah yeah well, I'm, I'm so glad you're you're still running thank you that's cool there aren't too many of us <laughs> left. <laughs> sweep all of the of the local 5ks yeah well
3: <laughs> I haven't done
2: that yet but
1: <laughs> I'll, maybe when they have a 90 and older division yeah yeah like an a yeah
2: well, you know, I, f- I feel like I could I could hang out and talk psychology and Hendrix and running and things like that with you all day long. Thank you. If Robert. I wasn't if if I wasn't uh, try, if I wasn't very uh, considerate of your time, <laughs> I could monopolize. that. <laughs> I
0: mean, come on, he's got things to do. Yeah, right? he's got to yeah. sign
2: up for a for a class. Yes, a concertina <laughs> class.
3: Uh,
1: well, it's coming to uh, the next yeah. LifeQuest course class. Summer term is coming up quickly. So, yeah.
2: oh, wonderful. Well, and I, I do want to say too that again. You're just such a huge influence on me, and me going into being a professor, um, and and the way I, I, I want to teach and want to be with my students.
3: Yeah,
2: uh, I always think a lot about the lessons I learned in your classes, Thank just you. content as well as just just style and approach. Thank so you, Art.
1: I'm sincerely touched by the by you saying.
2: Definitely. I'm
1: gonna try not to cry, now. <laughs> uh, but that—that's your legacy—is—is is, is having an impact on other people.
0: You've been listening to If These Bricks Could Talk: Tales of Hendrix Past, a podcast brought to you by the Hendrix College Offices of Communications, Technology Services, and Development. Our audio engineer is Megan Stevenson, Hendrix Class of 2007. Our theme music was created by Kristen Paczynski, Hendrix Class of 1997, performing as Ellen Cherry. I'm Amy Meredith Forbes, Hendrix Class of 1996. Thanks for listening.